This is Hormones, the Inside Story, the podcast from the Society for Endocrinology, where we take a look at the things inside us pulling the strings. I'm Georgia Mills, and this time, can you guess which biological molecule we're talking about? Having too little of it has been linked to everything from cancer to coronavirus, heart disease to immune disorders, and from fatigue to psychological problems. We can make it ourselves from sunshine, but it can also be found in foods like eggs or as pills in the shelves of supermarkets. Depending on who you talk to, it's either the most underrated public health intervention in history or little more than an overpriced placebo. That's right, it's vitamin D, the so-called sunshine vitamin. This episode, we're asking, should I take a vitamin D supplement? But first, the elephant in the room. Why is a hormone podcast talking about a vitamin? Well, it's, an, it's fairly unique, actually, because it's um, unique amongst vitamins, certainly, because it's actually not a vitamin. Uh, it's a pro-hormone. That's right, folks. Vitamin D is an imposter. And a vitamin is something, a micronutrient, which we need to have in our daily diet without which we'll develop deficiencies and ultimately not be able to survive. This is Catherine Collins, an NHS-registered dietitian. As a pro-hormone, we can make it ourselves with the action of sunlight on skin, so it's not technically a vitamin. A pro-hormone is basically something that's going to go on to become a hormone. It's not actually taken in the active form, so whether you eat vitamin C from an orange or a supplement... The vitamin C that you take in is actually going to be used just as it is um, in your metabolism and biochemical processes. But vitamin D, as we take it in diet or get exposed to from sunlight, actually has to be transformed by the liver and by the kidney into the active form. So that's why we call it a pro-hormone, because it isn't actually ready to use as we, as we consume it. As Catherine said, we can get it from diet, but a major source is sunlight. The sun isn't beaming down vitamin D directly into our skin. It's the action of sunlight which allows a chemical already in our skin to start making vitamin D, which we can then activate when we need it. We've got to play around with the vitamin D that we take in from our dietary um, choices or from the action of sunlight on skin. And we sort of Rubik's cube it, if you like, into something that's actually going to be used by the body and has a half-life of about 15 hours. So it's not going to be, the active form isn't going to be around for forever in our bloodstream. It's only as we need it. It's important that we can store vitamin D because in the UK we can only make it through the summer, late March to the end of September. And even then, not any sunshine will do. And we need a particular wavelength of sunlight uh, in order to do that. Not every wavelength helps make vitamin D. And so the particular wavelength we need is, is a wavelength of 290 to 315 nanometers. And that in the UK is the type of wavelength that occurs in the highest concentration is between the hours of 11 and 3. Office jobs are now the norm. Technology means socialising can now be done online. We don't ever need to leave the house. And so, as a nation, we might not be making enough. It is a major issue for a lot of people because nearly four in ten teenage girls are deficient in vitamin D, as are one in six teenage boys, one in six women, and slightly similar values, really, for men as well. And it's not just the less-than-glorious British weather that's to blame here. There are a lot of factors. First, that strong midday sunshine, the only type we can use to make vitamin D, is also the type we're warned to stay away from, down to the very real threat of skin cancer. 
I think perhaps we've gone a little too far the other way. And I think people are very indoctrinated into the do not go out in the midday sun. It's in an, obviously the most damaging time to go out in terms of skin health. But actually, it is the time that we do make uh, vitamin D. So damned if you do, damned if you don't. Well, Catherine says there's always a window of time before you start burning, and we all know exactly what that feels like, which is safe and usually more than enough to harvest what you need. What we have to do is, is advise differently depending on what skin tone you have. So if you have very pale skin tone, you probably make enough vitamin D by being out in the sun for maybe five to six minutes during the sort of peak hours, 11 till 3. Whereas if you have a naturally darker skin, you might need 25 to 30 minutes to actually make the same amount of vitamin D because the skin colourant actually makes you protected against burning. The fact that darker skin means you take longer to harvest vitamin D means that some ethnicities are disproportionately affected by vitamin D deficiency. People from the black and minority ethnic groups, but they're at higher risk of vitamin D deficiency because it can take two to three times longer to make the same amount of vitamin D uh, through a naturally darker skin than it would from somebody who's very pale skinned. And other things can have an impact too. Some religions or cultures involve covering up most skin. Poverty plays a big role. Some people don't have easy access to outdoor spaces. And older people are less efficient at generating vitamin D from the sun. So basically this problem doesn't affect everyone equally. But why is being deficient a problem? What does vitamin D actually do? So it's really sort of known to be very important with musculoskeletal health. This is Zaki Hassan-Smith. He's a consultant endocrinologist at Birmingham University who studies vitamin D. Yeah, so vitamin D, really the core thing that we understand is that it helps us to absorb the calcium from the gut, which is important for bones. And the link between vitamin D and bone health is quite strong. We know this because if children don't get enough, they can get something called rickets. These are children who, who are not thriving, they're of short stature, and they have a sort of characteristic bowing of the, of the legs because there's not the calcium mineral content in the, in the bones. When things get really severe, it can also have sort of wide-ranging effects on their health as well. So they have muscle weakness, it can have you know, other effects, even cardiac effects as well. Like scurvy, rickets just doesn't feel like a modern-day disease. You know, you'd think of Tiny Tim in A Christmas Carol. And in many countries, it was consigned to the past, until quite recently. Exactly. So it sounds like a kind of, sounds like a kind of Victorian disease, doesn't it? But it's one of these things that is there, and it's a, it's a real kind of public health problem in terms of poverty and related to malnutrition and, and that side of things. We still do see it. In 2019, the levels of hospitalisation from rickets in England were the highest they had been in 50 years. And because of the risk of rickets, doctors have long advised that breastfed babies should have vitamin D supplements from birth, and all children from six months to five years. As for adults, in 2016, Public Health England released guidelines suggesting that everyone should be topping up their vitamin D intake with supplementation. The advice was they came down to a figure of, of 10 micrograms of vitamin D intake for everybody, you know, on average per day. The way that they came to that figure was around kind of preventing the severe disease. So it was felt that taking that amount of vitamin D in a day prevents 
like rickets and osteomalacia in 97.5% of the population. It doesn't really answer what we do with those of us that are generally well but wanting to prevent other conditions. When we think of the kind of public health advice that's out there, a lot of it really is about preventing those severe end of the deficiency. So if everyone takes this, it should help those people who are genuinely and seriously deficient avoid getting rickets or the adult form osteomalacia. This is especially important for people who won't get enough from the sun, if they cover up or have darker skin, work nights or just don't spend much time outdoors. The other people who should definitely take vitamin D, um, we think, are people who've had who've got osteoporosis. Um, so they've got often age-related thing, thinning of the bones. So this advice seems to sort of catch everyone to make sure that the people who are really deficient do get enough. But what about supplementation for people who are not at risk of rickets? Because while the links between vitamin D and our bones are quite well documented, this isn't the only thing vitamin D is being linked with. Heart health, immune disease, diabetes, infection outcomes, even COVID. What's happened in recent years is that there's been a real explosion of the number of uh, studies that have looked at vitamin D, where there have been associations and links where there's thought to be potential where it might be important with a number of other diseases so when you're reading through sort of the newspapers and the health sections and all of that side of things I think it's why it's often you know you read a different vitamin d story each week. So low vitamin d is associated with let's say a bunch of very bad things but what's tricky is finding out if low vitamin d is actually causing these issues and would topping up make them any better. Now, where the controversy then comes in is that really to answer those questions, you know, the sort of high, highest level of evidence are what we call randomised control trials and then meta-analyses, which where you look at a number of randomised control trials and then look to see if there's, a, if there's an impact of, of actually replacing vitamin D on that health outcome. And, and that's where the stumbling block is really, is for a lot, although there's kind of quite nice basic science data and you know, strong associations between these health outcomes in observational side of things, they don't actually confirm that there's causality. So rather than being the underlying cause of a disease, maybe low vitamin D levels are just an indicator of something else that's gone wrong. Having water leaking through the floor of your bathroom isn't caused by the low level of water in your bathtub, but they're both a sign that you've got a problem with your plumbing. So it's tantalising, but the jury is certainly still out. But we're starting to get answers, which is especially pertinent because of COVID-19. There's all sorts of questions at the moment around that because of the there seem to be associations with certain ethnic groups being more affected from severe coronavirus. Worryingly, people with black and Asian ethnicities are more likely to develop and be hospitalised by the coronavirus. And these are the same groups who are more likely to be deficient in vitamin D. And one of the one of the things sort of within the press and within the scientific community that's been sort of raised there is whether or not vitamin D may be playing a role there. And I think it's very early again to to say that. But there are there are previous studies that have made similar comparisons looking at different respiratory diseases and um, and, and vitamin D. So like looking at spread of influenza, for example, or severity of influenza, prevention of influenza and other sort of similar respiratory infections. So I think that we'll see over the next kind of six, 12 months, you'll start to see papers coming out, starting to give us answers on, on, on the links there. 
In fact, since I spoke to Zaki, papers have started to arrive. There were two big studies from the UK Biobank which were released and they found no link between vitamin D and COVID rates. But then, a few weeks later, there was a lot of talk about one study. Some of the headlines were, Vitamin D reduces infection and impact of COVID-19. Vitamin D can half risk of fatal coronavirus complications. And Vitamin D reduces risk of catching coronavirus. These headlines all came from an American study in the journal PLOS One. It was getting loads of media attention and seemed pretty promising. So I decided to give Zaki another call to see what he thought of it. We're just on audio, aren't we? I'd be careful um, not to kind of pull the study completely apart. Um, But again, I think it's really important to be kind of clear on the messaging around that type of study. And And it really highlights a lot of the issues that we see around vitamin D research anyway, which is this whole idea of having an observational study. I mean, what they've, what they've effectively done in this study, they've taken hospital data from 235 patients who were confirmed to be affected with um, COVID-19. And then what they've done is they've looked at patients who've got a 25-hydroxyvitamin D that's thought to be of a sufficient level, and then also looked at patients with the insufficient or deficiency. And then they've taken a range of clinical outcomes and tried to look at if if there are discrepancies between the groups. And of all of the things that they found, there was a signal with mortality. But again, you know, these are associations. You can't say that you know, if your vitamin D st- status is better on the basis of this study, that, that those patients would have done better or that there are patients who would have had Im- improved chances of survival um, there. So what we don't know is whether vitamin D itself prevents these bad COVID outcomes. But that didn't stop some people from reporting it. I mean, it's a, yeah, exactly. It's a nice headline. And that's always a thing. And that's where I think a lot of this sort of fatigue with the whole vitamin D field sort of sets in because you think, you know, people sort of roll their eyes within the medical field and say, oh, no, not another vitamin D sort of story, you know. So so I think that's the whole thing, you know. But but to be fair to them, the authors have kind of set that up because if you look at the conclusion on the actual paper, they're saying, look, if we if we improve vitamin D status in general population, there'll be this benefit, you know, potentially um, in reducing severity of morbidities and mortality associated with acquiring COVID-19. And I don't think they can say that, but it's all hypothesis driven at the moment. So there's still a lot of work to be done and it is being done. But at the moment, there is a lot of hype which isn't necessarily backed up by evidence. There are a lot of other things that could cause increases in COVID-19 severity, including structural inequalities and racism and other social factors. But while the research and debating continues, some scientists are of the opinion that we've basically built vitamin D into something it's definitely not. The evidence base is just not there. This is Tim Spector, Professor of Genetic Epidemiology at King's College London. He's head of the Twin Research and Genetic Epidemiology Department. Tim used to work at an osteoporosis clinic where he looked into the hormonal factors influencing arthritis. At that time, I was a very strong advocate of vitamin D and gave it to all my patients and uh, wrote a number of papers on, on vitamin D and various diseases. But around five years ago, something changed. Doing research for my uh, book about five years ago on, called The Diet Myth, where looking at the benefits of food supplements, I found that although there were 
thousands and thousands of, of research papers showing associations with over 100 diseases and low vitamin D levels, whenever there was a randomized controlled trial done, it virtually always failed to show any benefit in people taking the supplements. And he found that when you tried to get this cause and effect link, it never really worked. Low vitamin D levels are probably a marker of general ill health or poor lifestyle. And these factors seem to be general risk factors for all kinds of diseases. There may also be risk factors for poor diet or an attitude towards health that isn't optimal. So that's why that these levels are just low, but that doesn't mean that that's causal. So we're seeing a mismatch between uh, what the association observational studies show and any actual benefit of, of giving extra vitamin D to these people. So unless you are genuinely really low in vitamin D, there's probably not a whole lot of benefits you can get from popping supplements. But according to the NHS, around one in five people in the UK have low vitamin D levels. No two organisations around the world agree what the um, proper level is to have, whether it's the Endocrine Society or the Bone Society or the American Clinical Chemistry Society. They've all got slightly different uh, levels of what they call deficient, adequate, uh, excess. And these levels have gradually increased over my career. So is deficient really deficient? It's an arbitrary line in the sand. Um, we've created a problem that every, the whole world is deficient in vitamin D and they need supplements. And I just think this has been vastly overblown and that, that's why we're in this, this mess at the moment. And it's been driven by a lot of it, by the um, pharmaceutical and supplement industry that are, are doing very well out of it. It seems to be everyone's favourite um, hormone. In people purchasing these extra tablets to take without any evidence that they work. Tim worries that people might actually be taking too much vitamin D. The other problem we're starting to see is that because of marketing, people are, are taking excess vitamin D, which... You can now buy these uh, high-dose uh, tablets online, which can give you up to 20,000 units in a single tablet. Normal amount you might take would be 400 or 800 units. So we're talking several fold those levels. We have to realize that this isn't a harmless uh, vitamin. It's a hormone. It's related to the steroid family and you can take too much of it, it can accumulate in your fat tissue and cause problems. So this is someone coming down very much on the side of that most of us do not need to worry about taking these supplements. You know, vitamin D deficiency is still a problem in some very poor urban environments with lack of sunshine uh, or people that are told uh, often wrongly to avoid the sun, sunlight at all costs. Um, and those people probably do need some protection with low levels of vitamin D, but everyone else um, should probably rely more on the natural ways of getting vitamin D, which you can't overdose from, and that, that is sunlight and food. Well, the sunlight doses are only covered if we can get outside enough during the summer, and we heard earlier not all of us do, but we haven't discussed food yet. So let's go back to dietitian Catherine Collins for her vitamin D buffet suggestions. 
Well, the food sources are pretty poor, really. You can get it in animal products and in fish-based products, as long as there's oil present. In meat, it's present in the meat flesh and in the fat of the meat. It's present in egg yolk. It's present in oily fish like salmon or um, anything derived from oily fish like cod liver oil. And uh, the best sources really are oily fish portions. You can get your daily requirement about 10 micrograms from a portion of salmon. But the biggest problem there is that you know we can't really eat seven portions of oily fish a week because it wouldn't be sustainable and also it'd be rather tedious. So when we're looking at other sources that are naturally occurring, uh, egg yolk and red meat would probably be the main sources. Not amazing for the vegans among us, but you can actually get a good dose of vitamin D by giving some mushrooms a suntan. Uh, mushrooms are normally grown in the dark. So like humans, if they're not exposed to UV light, they're not going to make very much vitamin D. But it's we found that if you actually stick mushrooms outside for a little bit of sunbathing between the hours of 11 and 3 over summer, like us, they can actually make some vitamin D. And sometimes vitamin D is added into food artificially. It's called fortification. From the Second World War, we have added vitamin D to foods. So uh, vitamin D was added to margarine and calcium was added to the national flour, which was the only flour you could buy for bread making or cake making uh, during the Second World War. But a few years ago, the laws were changed, so a lot of margarine manufacturing companies no longer add vitamin D to their margarines. But even when they did, you'd have to have three and a half ounces, 100 grams of margarine, to get three quarters of your daily requirements. So even using fortified foods uh, doesn't really give you your daily requirements that easily. And it requires you to eat foods of a particular type day in, day out, which most of us don't do that. Catherine says it's really difficult to provide vitamin D reliably this way because everyone's diets are just so different, just as our skin colour is different. It makes giving health advice really, really difficult. But I still put her on the spot. I think if people if they've got sort of lots of muscle aches and pains, if they know themselves that they don't actually go out in the sun very much or they deliberately try and avoid it, you know, they don't they don't feel comfortable in the sun, then definitely yes, take a supplement. I think that's the only way forward really. And while taking too much vitamin D is indeed possible, and like Tim said, a very bad idea, it's not really likely with the over the counter levels if you take them sensibly. At my previous place of work, it was the only supplement that we dietitians, 15 of us, took every day um, at lunchtime. And <laughs> you know, we don't really rate vitamin and mineral supplements. It's not, a, not products that we recommend people take routinely unless they feel their diet is compromised. But with vitamin D and with absence of sunlight at the peak times, then yes, you do need to take a supplement. So that's Catherine's view. And um, what about Zaki? So no pressure, no pressure from that point of view. I, th- I would really, yeah, I would echo vitamins being big business and I wouldn't want anybody to kind of come away from this saying that, you know, with the sort of idea that we're saying, look, everybody should, everybody should take it, you should take all these vitamins. I think vitamin D is a, is a kind of special case in a way because... Um, because basically, with you know, we know that um, there's high levels of deficiency um, and we know that there are important health outcomes. And then the other issue with it is it is difficult to get it from diet. So in the UK, over winter months, you're not going to get any from, from sunlight. So again, you might consider a, you know, a maintenance dose of vitamin D. I think children, you know, it's definitely worth being mindful of that, particularly in the young children who are up to the age of four. 
And then the other advice, I think the other sort of area that you might think about it would be in, in pregnancy, really. But so there's not a lot of data and not a lot of evidence for, for multivitamins in, in other sort of settings. And I'd have cautions around um, sort of different supplements and, and minerals and things like that that haven't got much evidence, you know, in terms of translating into health benefits. So vitamin D is kind of a slippery fish, but what else should we expect from something that calls itself a vitamin when it's actually a hormone? It's definitely unambiguously bad to be really deficient. If you're at the lower end of the spectrum, you can't absorb calcium properly and your bones are going to suffer. Ricketts is making an unfortunate comeback, especially in poorer areas. So definitely get enough sunshine in the summer if you can, without burning of course, and you can try and top up with vitamin D rich foods. Mackerel omelette, anyone? But do we need supplements? For starters, this podcast is definitely not a substitute for medical advice, so if you're concerned about your health, diet or vitamin levels, you should speak with your GP or consult a registered dietitian. But unless you go wild with the amounts, popping a vitamin D supplement is unlikely to do you any harm, except maybe your bank balance, especially if you don't have the opportunity to get much sunshine on your skin. But if you have normal vitamin D levels, there's not a huge amount of evidence that supplementing will do you a huge amount of good yet. So while it's definitely important, it's not a miracle solution for all of our health ailments that it's sometimes made out to be. Thank you to Zaki Hassan-Smith, Catherine Collins and Tim Spector for their help this week. And Tim's new book, Spoonfed, is out now. Next time, we'll be going to the Olympic Games to see the darker side of sports. How do performance-enhancing drugs actually work and will doping ever be allowed? Plus, we meet the man who could really walk the walk, thanks to a little bit of white powder. You and Your Hormones is a podcast from the Society for Endocrinology. Explore more about the world of hormones at yourhormones.info. You can follow them on Twitter, that's at SOC underscore E-N-D-O, and you can find them online at endocrinology.org. This show was produced by me. I'm Georgia Mills. Katani is the executive producer, and it was made by First Create the Media. Thanks so much for listening, and goodbye. Goodbye.